Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. Father, open our awareness to your grace and your mercy, your kindness. We're going to talk about some culturally divisive things today. But it's about love. It's about learning how to love from Jesus. So, Lord, I pray that you would protect our hearts from the accusation of the enemy, but also at the same time open us and soften us to the conviction of your spirit. Teach us to know the difference. Lord, we don't pursue things because they're hot topics or we pursue things because of because they're important to you because these issues burn on your heart and lord i ask that you would reveal to us today to me first and foremost how much you love men and women Call us to imitate you, Jesus, we ask in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, so, you know what, let's let's go to a quote-unquote clobber text, shall we? Um, We're going to go to Ephesians chapter 5. I think it's 5, maybe it's 4. No, it's probably 5. Yeah, chapter 5. Can I read? What version are you going to read from? Um, the NIV. Then no. <laughs> or the Passion Translation? No, I w- um, let's, let's, let's go with the ESV or the NASB or the NRSV, one okay. of those. ESV works fine. There you go. Ephesians what? Four, five. Uh, we're we're going to read um, yeah let's start with verse 15 uh, all the way and then I'll just tell you when to stop verse what? 15 15 no no 15 there's only 33 verses in this chapter go ahead look carefully then how you walk Oh, this is ESV, by the way. <laughs> Not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, Singing and mark, making melody to the Lord with your heart. Give, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of 
our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and his, and his, is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sacrifice her, having cleansed her by sanctify the, her. Sanctify that he her. Might sanctify her. Cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the, the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one who ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of the body, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. That's what I'm talking about. Keep going. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as, him, as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay, we'll stop there. Okay, so, verses 22, 23, and 24 have been a big fat hammer that that men, especially men in leadership and men with a poor understanding of God's respect for uh, for women, um, have used to smack women, to knock them down, to tell them, get into submission. What are you doing? You don't get to have authority. It says right here, wives, submit to your husbands. Right? Oh. Right? Okay. But you have to ignore, in order to use that, those three verses, the way that they have in the past, you have to ignore all the other verses that Ross just read. Because it starts in verse 21. And this is one of the reasons why these, like, Headings in Scripture are not helpful at all. Uh, because this that heading was... Paul didn't put that heading there. Yeah. That heading came from the editor of the English Standard Version. And they said, well, this section talks about wives and husbands. So this we're going to make it easy for you to find wives and husbands. There you go. But in, in my book, this whole thing, starting with verse 21, should have, been under a, should have been under a heading that said, Submit to one another as to Christ. Because that's what it says. And then he breaks out to a specific example of husband and wife. And he spends a whole lot more time talking to husbands than he does talking to wives. He's much more emphatic in his, in his communication to the men in this side of the relationship than he is to the women. In fact, I would say the only reason he says the three verses to the women is so that he can say that he did. Not that he doesn't mean it, but the women already know. There's not one woman in a husband-wife relationship that doesn't, in this cultural context, not necessarily our cultural context, but in that cultural context, that doesn't know that they need to uh, submit to, to, to their husbands. Okay? But then Jesus descri- then Paul describes what submission in a marital re- loving relationship ought to look like and the kind of husband that a wife should be submitting to. Okay? Not submitting to some man that's like, I'm the head of this household. Right? It's, uh, <laughs> I'm just saying there's, that's a thing. Okay? And there are people that quote this verse. And, and the people that quote those three verses the most are the ones who want to use this as, you know, some manipulation, some kind of control on their wives, that they, you know, you, you're going to mind me, woman, right? Like, that's a thing, okay? And that is one of the 
aspects of the of what we would refer to as toxic masculinity, which we'll get there in a minute. But I want to let's 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 flow from here because then he describes what biblical a biblical husband will do, a Christ-like husband, which is the whole point. Okay, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. Think of what Jesus did. This is the same man who authored Philippians chapter 2. For, for Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider... With God something to be grasped to his own right. He made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. Right. Okay? <laughs> same author, right? Maybe cute. Okay, same author. When he says Jesus gave himself up for the church, he means it. Not just the cross, but his incarnation. Okay, that here was God of all gods calling light out of, you know, and creation out of nothing by the power of his word, holding all things together by the power of his word. This God who took on flesh in order to serve mankind is now saying, gentlemen, you need to be incarnational with your wives. You need to step in alongside them, be present to them, understand where they are at, inhabit their difficulty, their suffering, and serve them in it. Now, how in the world can you read that and still be like, step in the line, woman. It's not how it works. You don't get to do it. You got to ignore everything that Paul says after those three verses in order to make these verses about, about women and being in their place. Does that make sense? A little bit. Can you kind of... <laughs> so you mean like the 20, 20 and 21... Has to verse twenty one. Could you not? Could you not film me? I'm not filming you. Okay. Twenty and twenty one is where we have to really take hold of in order to make in order to make the rest of the verses after that. Well, we've got verse twenty one. Just twenty one. <laughs> okay. Okay. Twenty twenty. Now this 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 is this this is the the progression. Okay, from verse fifteen where you started. Yeah. Until we get to verse 22 and then beyond. Okay? Because verse 15 says, hey, y'all, you live in evil days. And so you need to recognize that. And you need, in order to live differently than the evil days in which you live, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. All the time. In fact, the words here is the, is the Greek tense, which means let this happen now and let it continue to happen Always after this. Be being filled with the Spirit. Live in a constant state of being infilled by the Spirit. That's what, that's what those words mean when he says, but be filled with the Spirit. In, uh, in uh, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with with the Spirit means constantly be in a state of being filled with the Spirit. Okay? Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, and submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. A Spirit-filled person is going to submit to his fellow Christians, be they male or female, out of reverence to Christ. And then he makes this turn where he says, let's talk about it in the case of marriage. This relationship that everybody understands. Man, wife, women, you know that you need to submit to your husbands as the Lord. For the, Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And this is a really interesting thing. Okay? And there's a whole lot of work being done right now around what it, meant, what it meant to Paul to be the head of something. Okay? It did not mean 
to be in charge of something. That's not what I meant. And that's kind of how we think of it, right? I think at least that's how I was it. Well, I'm the head of the household, right? That means that I get to make all the decisions. And there is a certain level of responsibility that's included in the idea, but the, uh, but the idea of being the head, there's a lot more to it than that. It's much more complex than just than, than the idea of that guy, that's the one in charge. That is not what that means to Paul. Okay, the way that the head worked in this kind of situation is then, is then described by Paul in verses 25 and following. This is what it looks like to be a head of your wife the way that Christ is the head of the church. He gives great descriptives for that. For the husband is the head of the wife and was Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. That does not mean that the man is the savior of his wife. Jesus is the savior of the church. That part of the of the of the uh Metaphor does not apply to the husband-wife part of the metaphor. You should always know metaphors can only go so far. Okay? Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Okay? Submission. I remember my wife and I had this conversation when we were dating and thinking about getting married. I don't think that I had asked her to marry me yet. I think we were still contemplating. I asked her to marry me rather quickly. <laughs> we started dating in September. We got engaged at Christmas. And we were married by July. Are you kidding me? Too bad. No. That, that was, our, was less than a year that we were dating before we were married. We knew. Plus, we were, you know, master's commission. Marriage uh, commission. Uh, couples, so we knew each other well. All right, so, but this, we had a conversation around this, because my wife has, is a leadership personality. She's a strong person, and she has opinions, strongly held opinions about almost everything. She's an eight on the Enneagram. Hallelujah. You okay over there? She's an eight on the Enneagram. And so she sees the world a certain way and she doesn't think that anyone who sees the world differently than she does, it could possibly be correct because that's, that's eights. You got to love eights. Okay. Um, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that she's, she's not mean or a horrible person. And she's definitely even more mature about it now, all these years later than she was then. But uh, it'll be 22 years this summer. Happy anniversary. Woo. Yeah. It's a long time. So, I do have a 19-year-old son, so that makes sense. Uh, yeah, my oldest is 19. He graduated last year. Then I have another son who's 17 who's graduating next year. So, um, where were we? Okay, so we had this discussion. And uh, my way of understanding this passage at that time was, I am going to have to stand before God on the basis of what happens within my family because I'm responsible for them. And because of that, I had to ask her to, to join with me, and we need to be partners in the decisions that we make regarding finances, regarding you know some other things. I said, but also... There are whole big portions of our marriage where I don't really want to work as a team. I want, well, let's just split these things out. I'll be in charge of this. You'll be in charge of that. You don't have to ask me. Okay, one of those things was I could care less what this house is, how this house is decorated. I don't, I don't care. I really don't care. And there were a couple times later on I wish I had not said that. But when she paid in, our living room purple. I was like, man, I shouldn't have told her that I was, that I didn't care. She loved it. I didn't, but that's all right. Let's move on. Um, uh, but I said, I don't care about that. And there's a whole bunch of other things that are really going to be in your camp that I don't, not only do, do you not have to ask me, but I don't really want you to ask me. 
because I don't care. Well, and, and I, didn't, I didn't have the language of the Enneagram back then. Now I would tell her I'm a nine on the Enneagram and making decisions is exhausting to me. So, so only bring decisions to me that I absolutely need to make. I understood that about myself, that, that decision fatigue was a real thing in my life. I understood that, um, which she didn't because eights don't. Eight, eights are just good to make decisions all day long. I'll keep making decisions. I don't care. I love making decisions. They're good. They've got all the energy in the world for decision making. Nines don't. Nines don't. We're, we're like, I can see both sides. Oh, I'm so full of anxiety about this. And I don't want to make decisions. Okay, so anyway. And so I had said to her at the time, hey, I, I don't really want to talk about what color the dishes are. I, I don't care. But I did say to her, and I, entered, I have a more refined understanding of this now than I did then. But I said to her then, there are going to be times when we are going to disagree. Um, I'm, I'm only going to be like, and I just don't even, this, this, this phrase that I'm about to use makes me want to vomit. But I will only put my foot down. I really just want to throw up right now. <laughs> I hate that phrase so much. But I said, I would only do that. I would only kind of pull the husband as the head of the house hard when I felt like it had eternal consequences like this is more important than something we can disagree about the way I would say that now because I no longer understand this the way that I used to um, and the way that I used to understand it was really a culturally comp compelled kind of understanding like this is what this means I hadn't sat with it and prayed, prayed through it and thought through it and studied the language and done the, you know, done the work to really own my understanding of it. But the way that I understand it now is um, uh, we need to have a conversation about this. And I need to let you know uh, uh, how high the stakes are for me in this. And I need to be honest enough to ask you to love me by not pushing this any further because this is important to me. You see the difference between those two things? Like the one is, nope, sorry, I'm in charge and this is the way I want it to go. The other one is you and I are in a relationship and so we're a team and so I want to, I want to really hear your view and I want you to really hear mine and in this case, I'm saying, I'm asking you, because you love me, can we do this more my way than yours? Not because I get to tell you what to do, but because this is really, really important to me. And I'm just asking you to love me like that. Do you see the difference? And I think the way that I understand it now is a thousand times healthier than the way that I understood it then. I've always maybe operated the same way, but now I think it's a lot more, I'm, I am seeing and honoring her agency, okay? Agency, when I say that, that means your right to make decisions about yourself, okay? Your God-given right and responsibility to make your own choices. When I co-opt scripture into a, if you disobey me in this, that's just disgusting. If, if you decide not to go with me, not to, I just, if you decide to disagree with me about this and act in a way that, that you know I'm not going to appreciate, you are also disobeying God. Like that, that is what we are doing when we take scriptures like this, gentlemen, and we hold them over uh, our significant other's head and say, I'm the head of this house. We are usurping God's authority. And we are saying, disobey me and you disobey God. And that is just disgusting. Okay. Does that make sense? Yes. We can't do that. Because we are not God and we do not get to do that. And the truth is, we're... If we would go there, we're probably wrong about whatever it is that we want them to do. 
Because why is this that important to you that you need to clamp down and control? Love does not control. Love expresses feelings and position and desire. And then leaves the other person's responsive to them. I am letting you know that this is important to me. And that yes, if you make a different choice, my feelings will be hurt. I'm not saying that to manipulate you. I'm just telling you the truth. It is still your decision. And whatever decision you make moving forward, our relationship may look different after that decision. But I'm not saying that in order to like knuckle you under. I'm just letting you know. Does that make sense? Okay, toxic masculinity is a picture that, that some people created. And it is, it is a cultural con, um, construct of masculinity that says that man equals strong that man equals, basically that masculinity embodies a certain kind of power, okay? A power that is controlling, a power that is usurping, a power that causes anything that's not masculine to become an object for the purpose of serving my sexual and egotistical need. Does that make sense? Yes. That's what toxic masculinity does. And toxic, ma- to- toxic masculinity is, is unbelievably damaging to women and almost as damaging to men. Because that kind of power that objectifies, okay, that word objectify means to make someone, to make a human into an object. When a human ceases to be a person and becomes an object, we have objectified that person. Does that make sense? Okay. Any form of power which objectifies any human being is demonic power. When you cease to recognize the image of God, the agency and the value and the worth of an individual, and you make them less than a person, you are on the side of Satan. Now, we specifically talk about toxic masculinity because there is this pattern among men in our culture to objectify women. We do that a lot. The porn industry, even advertising and entertainment, regularly objectifies women, regularly removes their, uh, their personal power, their worth, their agency from them. I think about all those, um, they don't really do it anymore, but all the old Hardee's commercials where they would just have like girls in bikinis eating Angus thick burgers yes. on their commercials. Right. I was like, what the heck, bro? Do you see, okay, so tell me, when you see that, when you think of that commercial, that's a perfect example. When you think of that commercial, okay, what is it doing to women. It's objectifying. Right. But in what way? What is it doing? It's like using their bodies to try and attract people to go eat hard right. food. Is this a person sitting on that on that mechanical bowl? Yes. Um, is, is this in any way showing that they are a person? No. No. We are equating the use I would make of this person sexually with the use I would make of that burger... Okay, so now she is not a human being with thoughts, feelings, emotions, 
with personal agency that I am approaching to have a relationship with human being to human being. No, she is a hole to put my thingy in. I know. But it's true. She has become an object for the purpose of fulfilling my sexual desires. Okay, just like that burger is an object, I wouldn't give second thought to lighting that burger on fire or chopping that burger up into a million pieces or doing other unspeakable things to that burger. Why? Because it has no thoughts, feelings, or emotions, Mm -hmm. right? But in putting this woman in the Hardee's commercial in this, in, with that burger in the same situation, I am making them the same thing. Just as that burger is there to fill my stomach, so that woman is there to gratify my sexual desires. I have objectified them both. That's not a problem with the burger because the burger is an object. But the woman is not and never ever should be. But the problems go much the problems go further than that. That is the height. That is the worst part about it. Okay? That I have made a human being created in the image of God into an object that doesn't matter what I do to her because she's not a person. She has no worth. Okay? That's the worst. That's the height. But let's talk about the other things that we have done. Okay, when we do that, because we do a lot more than just objectify a human being, we also twist our understanding of sex. Okay, because sex is not about, I have an itch that needs to be scratched. That is not how sex works. That is not what sex was created to be. Sex is created to be the most intimate expression of the most important human relationship in my life. It is created to be the most, the most full way that my love and my value for another person is expressed. That is why it is holy and sacred. Sex is meant to be the the most powerful way that I communicate to a person with whom I have an exclusive relationship. That I know them, that I see them, that I accept them and enjoy them. That is the purpose of sex. The purpose of sex is as it is written here, that we should become one flesh, that the wall between me and you will be dissolved and we become, an, we become a unit, you and I. That all of the thoughts that I think about my own self-preservation now are attached to you and I would do as much to serve you as I would ever do to serve myself. That is what sex is supposed to do. It is supposed to make two people one. It is supposed to, the ultimate expression of love and connection and, and when sex is anything less than that, it's twisted and broken. It's damaging and destructive. Do you see what we have done when we put sex on the same level as hunger? They are not the same. You do not respect the things you eat. Am I wrong about that? No, I use my fingers and my teeth to rip those things to shreds that they might nourish me. This thing becomes about me. And that is not what sex is supposed to do. Sex is supposed to make you about them. It's literally the opposite. And when we put sex and hunger on the same level and and point at them as the same thing, we have 
turned sex, what is supposed to be one of the most powerful and important things that happens in the human life, and we have made it into something low and broken and disgusting. Why do you think sex is so powerful to mess up people's understanding of themselves? Why do you think it messes with people so much when they are sexually abused and molested at younger ages, etc.? It is so deeply damaging because it is absolutely connected with our understanding of self as it should be. Because this is what it's for. This is one of the reasons why I want to stop having conversations about, uh, well, what does the Bible say about homosexuality? What does the Bible want to say about whatever? No, 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 no. Let's just have a conversation about sex. Let's have a conversation about what sex is and what sex is for. And let's talk about it with how the Bible betrays or portrays it. And all the ways that Satan has gotten into this thing and twisted it and messed it up and usurped it and destroyed it. Because as soon as it's done that, as soon as the enemy has done that, he has robbed us of one of our most important things, one of our most important possessions. Does that make sense? So the Apostle Paul is deconstructing toxic masculinity in this chapter, not building it. He's saying you don't get to objectify other human beings. In particular, your own wife. You don't get to do that. You have to serve her. You have to act like Jesus does for the church. Jesus washed the disciples' feet and then he went to Calvary and poured out his life's blood for her. That is what he did and that is what I'm calling you husbands to do for your wives. Get down and wash her feet. Give of your own life's blood to protect her and to see her delivered beautifully into the hands of the Father. Value her above yourself. How on earth anybody ever took these verses and twisted them around to be all about, you know, I'm in charge of you. You better step alive. I don't even understand it. Okay, but this is what happens. This is how it works. This is how culture puts lenses on us and allows us, when we look even at something like scripture, and we can just skip over parts as if they weren't even there, or twist them around to mean them something the opposite of what it actually means. I wish Paul would have like put verses 20, 21, 22, or like that little section. I wish he Later. Put at the bottom instead yeah. of the beginning. Yeah. You can just read that and, okay, sounds good to now, me. Now, Paul <laughs> was speaking into a, toxically ma- into a right. toxic masculinity situation. Yeah. Because the Roman Empire was unbelievably... <laughs> Disgusting when it came to its understanding of women. It was horrifying. Plus, the Roman Empire's understanding of sex as a whole was so broken, so disgusting, so... that I think Paul put those verses first just so that he could say, hey, I said they should submit to you. I already said it, but now let's talk about what you need to do for her. I think that's what was going on. I, what? Like, I, like he's just talking, like he said, he's talking to men. But it is 11.15, so oh, I don't want to not get to toxic feminism. Because <laughs> I think it's important. Like, they no, both happen, absolutely. I agree, I agree. The issue with... Uh, ugh, I, when it comes to feminism and femininity the only places that i've seen it really get toxic is when women take kind of use the objectification that goes on and turn it around into a manipulative thing a way of wielding the power of sexuality in reverse does that make sense 
So do you mean okay. like... Okay, talking about women that walk into a situation uh, purposefully objectifying themselves first so that they can use that objectification against a man. Okay? Um, you know, they they would use sex as a weapon. Does that make sense? Yeah. How would, they, how would they use it as a weapon? Do you mean like saying my body, my choice, or what do you mean? No, oh. no. That's, that's, no. Okay, well, I'm kind of confused. Sure. I'm talking about women who's purposefully lean into the trope of objectification. They dress a certain way, they whatever. And But instead of making that about pleasing men, yeah. they make that about controlling men. Okay. Right? I know that if I dress this way, I'm going to walk into that room and I'm going to make these men uncomfortable. Yeah. And I'm going to use their discomfort to control them so, rather than letting them control me. Yeah. It's always about control. It's always about power. And that's why it's toxic. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think... But women have so, uh, so far to go before they're ever going to get to the... Like, we would talk about... The balance of the scales, okay, we're talking about the the entire history of the human race yeah. has had has been a, the story of the patriarchy and and toxic masculinity, okay, and like since the 1960s, women have found a measure of power that is equally toxic, so we're talking about you know fifty years. Versus, or 60 years versus 6,000 years. <laughs> I, I don't think we, we have a whole lot to say about toxic femininity. I mean, that's my own yeah. personal, my own opinion. I guess I see a lot, like, double standards. Like, even myself, like, I've been guilty of it. Like, it's it's okay when I do something because I'm a woman. But if it, like, I guess I see it a lot in just, like, if a woman said something, like, about a man I feel like people would be like yeah or like her friends might even support that but if you heard a man say it, it would be like oh my goodness you can't say that that's not okay right or like even like this is just an example but in high school I had a softball coach and she used to call us vaginas all the time when we were like playing bad I guess it was really weird but she was like a female so she didn't really get in trouble for it oh, okay. and it was like if my male basketball coach called me that he would be fired absolutely be charged. like yeah it's just like that's a total double standard that right. my female coach could call me that with no consequences but a male coach could not call me that like I guess like I just right. kind of see that as toxic feminism like, but I think she was leaning into toxic masculinity there even though she's a woman, she can be toxically male. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And because the idea that male genitalia stands for strength and female genitalia stands yeah. for weakness yeah. is exactly what she was saying. Right. That's what, and that's what so she was leaning <laughs> into that, which is she got fired so though. broken, <laughs> so wrong. Well, I'm glad. I mean. <laughs> But do you see what I'm yeah, talking about? It's right. the same thing of kind of this elevation of male identity as to, to, to be this something that is good, something that is powerful, powerful something strong. that is successful, yeah. etc. And female identity as something is weak and broken and not to be desired. Yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, think about the all of you young ladies who are on her team and the stigma that you then carry around the word vagina following that time, even failure. if you're even, even exactly failure, weakness, brokenness, and we're talking about something that's a part of you. How is that? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's so not okay. Yeah. That's definitely like, I never really thought of it that way before. Right. But yeah, I guess it could just, like, be both. Like, that's a toxic... That's, like, feeding into... That's almost, like, supporting toxic masculinity. It is. But it's also just, like, you cannot say that. A male could never... No. Like, never get away no. with saying that. And of course today, not. like, 
I don't know. It's just like, if it wouldn't be okay for it to come out of a man's mouth, it shouldn't be okay to come out of my mouth just because Absolutely. I'm a woman. Like, I shouldn't get away with things that men can't get away with just because I'm a woman. Right. But not be, and it's not about being a man or a woman. It's about, this is disgusting right. because it is dehumanizing. Right. This is the problem. Is dehumanizing. It doesn't matter if it's men or women, which yeah. is why I rarely even use the phrase toxic masculinity anymore. I just talk about broken power, a broken understanding of power, yeah. because that's really what, what it is. Mm-hmm. Now, we do sexualize it, of course, because we're Americans. I love this nation, but this nation, more than any other on the planet, is, is doing this to the human race. We are, are the number one export of the United States of America is pornography. That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't you excited? Doesn't that make you want to yeah. put your hand on your heart and sing the national anthem? <laughs> okay. You know, the number two export of the United States of America, you know what it is? Weaponry. Woo! I'm so proud of us. Jesus help us. <laughs> That's why our tax dollars should go to other things rather than build up our military. No, we're not going to go there right now. Uh, yes, I agree. <laughs> but we're not going to go there right now. Um, does that make sense? Are, are we all on the same page? Did that, did that, was that helpful? Yeah. I just like, I don't know. Like, what? Like, I, I agree. Like, it, I do. It was helpful. It's just crazy that, like, this is even controversial. Like, if women just respected each other and men, and if men just respect... Because women are toxic towards women each can other. Be, women can like, be I more like, toxically yes. toxic in this way than men. Yes. Like, I really feel like women are, like, display toxic feminism more to each other than they do to men. Like, we yeah. just, like... I don't get it. But if yeah. we just respected each other of the same sex and respected each other of the opposite sex on both sides, it, it's just... Like well, you're saying, it's like a respect and value of power problem. It's not really like yes. men versus women. Well, and it doesn't just happen in the men in the male-female dynamic. It also happens in the racial dynamic. Yeah. Okay? Because you have... You have the... You know, you have this... this the situation where... Uh, you know, if, if you aren't standing up against... You know, a certain thing, then, oh, you're, you're an Uncle Tom, quote unquote. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same kind of, it's, it's, well, it's be hard to explain, but there is, there is a, that, where, where people who are, it doesn't matter what race it is, Uncle Tom would be specific to African American culture, but, but, um, doesn't matter what race we're talking about, um, people that are, Victims of racism who then use the, exist- the existence of that racism in the midst of their culture as a, as a way of lifting themselves up over other yeah. people of their own race. Um, and, and once again, because here's the deal. If white people can objectify black people in order to, uh, in order to enable our, us to, to, which, by the way, the only region... The only reason the United States is the wealthiest nation in the world is because we had 200 years of free labor um, that we built our entire economy upon. Okay, so the, the wealthiest people in the world are the wealthiest people in the world because they objectified human beings to get there. Maybe not this year or even 30 years ago, but less than 100 years ago. Okay, that was happening and it still happens. Um, and it's hor- horrifying and disgusting. And, but that is the reality of the world. You know, some of the wealthiest people in the world were big supporters of Hitler. But then when it came to, when World War II came around, okay, they were like, no, we're Americans, (laughs) right? And And then they made money building factories to build the guns to go stop the guy that they were helping fund earlier. So anyway, um, yeah, some of the wealthiest people in the world uh, made weapons for both sides at different times. So, so like uh, when you say, when you kind of say, um, 
the objectifying like of human beings and stuff. Um, so when you mentioned Hitler, like my the stuff is kind of clicking in my head. Like when you mentioned Hitler, Hitler did that with like the Jews, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, and not just the Jews, but homosexuals and black people and anyone that wasn't blonde and blue eyed and straight. I would be. I would be in there because I'm not blonde or blue eyed. Exactly. Yeah. I think we all everyone is just Catherine. Just kidding. No, wait, no, I'm not. No, let's let's not let's 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 not point fingers. <laughs> Boy, Hitler would have liked you. No, let's not go there. Okay, let's let's not do that. This is what we do. This is what humanity has done, and it we do it over and over and over again. And we do it in different situations at different times, but it's. The answer for all of it is love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah. We use, we have used, we continue to use, we always will use the differences between us to give ourselves cultural, economic, and relational power. So kind of like, are you kind of, when you say people who like in the problem of racism when you say like um people who have been a victim of racism have used that power to like um, absolutely they key into the power structure that exists around them by cozying up to people that are more powerful than culturally to lift them up power wise over the others is this are you is this making sense over the others they look and see boy white people get Get, uh, get, okay, for instance, I'll use a, I'll use a non-American uh, uh, example so it's not quite so close to home. Yeah. Okay? Um, but uh, I, was in, uh, I was in the Philippines, okay? And um, I was spending time with some people from Manila, okay? And then some other folks came in from another part of the country. And these other folks, folks that came in from another part of the country, their skin was a little darker, and they didn't speak English quite as well. And I witnessed in this Christian group the way that the folks from the city looked down on these folks from further out because of the color of their skin and because of their cultural difference. And they would, they, I heard them talk about, well, you know, they're from such and such, and they don't even, they barely speak English, and look how dark their skin is. I mean, like, I heard that. And these are people from the same country, of the same ethnic background. But that still happened. And that happens in every human situation. Every single human situation we're in, there is a power differential. And it's always based on different things. But we find ways of making you other than me so I can objectify you and steal and usurp your agency, your power in order to lift myself above you. It's the opposite of love, and we do it all the time. Men do it to women. Sometimes women do it to other women. Sometimes women do it to men. Sometimes black people do it to white people. Sometimes white people do it to black people. It doesn't matter what situation you're in. It's the same system of taking cultural power and wielding it over against someone else, objectifying them, seeing them as less than me, less than human, and preying upon them and stealing from them in one manner or another. Sometimes it's actual physical theft, and sometimes it's just the the theft of cultural power where my voice is going to be heard by more people in this room than your voice. Therefore, your voice doesn't matter. Does that make sense? And we do it over and over. And sometimes we use beautiful things like God's very word to do it. Well, what do you mean by that? Like, how can you use God's word to? Men have been doing it for generations with the very verses I had you read. Wives, submit your husbands as unto the Lord. They have used those words, these precious, holy, spirit inspired words to set up a system in which they had more power than the women in their lives. 
Do you see what sin does? Because that's sin. Sin, anytime we see a person created in the image of God being treated as an object, that's sin. That's what we've done. We have broken the love your neighbor as yourself commandment. And in doing so, we've broken the love of the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and your strength commandment because Jesus told us the way we love God is by loving each other. We've done it, and we do it in large ways. We do it in conscious ways, but the really dangerous ones are the subconscious ways. That we do it the ways that we are complicit with those kind of power structures without thinking about it. That's where we really need the Holy Spirit to shine some light. Because until we know we're complicit, complicit means we cooperate with that power structure. We are a part of it. We have helped. I may not have dragged any Jews away to Dachau, but I did, you know, maybe let it slip that there were some Jews in hiding in the building next to mine. Does that make sense? Because these power structures exist, we are, and, and they're most of the time pretty invisible, we can accidentally cooperate with them. Okay, as, this will be the last thing I say because you need to go. As a white man, as a teacher of this class, have a level of cultural power. And that means that I could, even without knowing it, leverage that position to make one of you feel small and have everybody else kind of join in with me in that And I can do all of that without ever even really knowing I've done it. Where I I would be allowed to say things from this position of standing in front of you, of being older than you, of being given authority by the leaders that you have submitted to, by the fact that I have reverend in front of my name, and that I probably have more Bible knowledge than most of you. All of those things are power dynamics that are at work in this situation right here and right now. And if I'm not really careful about it, I can be unloving with those. And I probably have and never meant to. And if I have, please forgive me. If I've made you feel small, if I've made you feel stupid, if I have added to the way that the power dynamics of your group work against you in any way, please forgive me. I promise I was not consciously doing that. I care about you. But it's just so easy to fall into those patterns to step into cooperation with the spirit of this age rather than cooperation with the Holy Spirit who tears down the dividing wall of hostility and calls me to be present with you and to love you and to see you with all the value and worth that you have and all the ways that you are carrying the very image of the creator that I profess to serve. We need to be thinking about that in every relationship that we have, in every situation that we're in. What are the power dynamics at work in every conversation that we're having? And how can I cooperate with the Holy Spirit in this conversation rather than the spirit of the world?
It's a lot. It's a lot. Does that make sense? Father, help us. Oh, help. Give us your eyes, Jesus. Awaken us to places, moments, situations where we have abused We have taken advantage of the power dynamics that we inhabit, not followed you, Jesus, and made ourselves servants of all, not followed you, Jesus, and, and, and not seen the power dynamics at work as something to be taken advantage of or grasped or held onto, but making ourselves taking on the form of a servant and serving. Lord, I just pray that you would teach us how to do that in every single relationship, that we would teach us how to see each other as one that you, Jesus, our King, would serve, would wash their feet. Lord, I pray you'd help us to see that and help us to live in that place. Oh, God, oh, Jesus. Pray that you'd help us to recognize the toxicity of power as it works in the world, that we would step away from that and we would embody, we would embody your spirit, Christ Jesus, who'd rather die for our enemies than kill them. Teach us to be more like you, Jesus, we ask. Amen.